there. Welcome to the All People's Global Equipping Podcast. It's another great episode celebrating what God has done this year in our commission conference. You're going to get to hear from Mandy Hart. Uh, Mandy and her husband, Neil, are actually leaders in our South Africa church in Stellenbosch, South Africa, All People Stellenbosch. And Neil helps out with the global leadership of All Peoples as well. And they have an incredible journey of leadership um, in their own family. Mandy's going to be sharing about how maybe as a leader, your greatest contribution isn't just transforming the world around you, but seeing transformation in your own family. And the most important person you lead might be someone you raise. This is a great word for transformation in families uh, from an outside perspective from the United States and other leader across the world. We hope you'll enjoy this episode of the All People's Equipping Podcast. So I come from Stellenbosch, South Africa. As you can hear, my accent is a little different. I say water, not water. I don't know, I said that really badly, but um, but I love Jesus. I have been following him since I was 18, and I am a mom to two grown children. Matthew is 22, Emily is 20, and I've been married for 25 years this year. And it's just such a... <laughs> celebration. So you'll hear me tell a few stories about my children uh, as I go through this talk this morning. But I want to tell you, I see some people here don't have children. This is not a parenting talk. Um, it is about transforming your family. And I saw this past year how my daughter, Emily, who worked at a pizza restaurant, would talk to this one girl. Her name was Jamie. And Jamie would come and have a glass of wine while in between you know, tables and things like that. And Emily would come home and say, Mom, Jamie's just been talking and talking and talking. Um, but, you know, when it was slow, Jamie would talk. And Emily ended up leading Jamie to the Lord. Jamie was about, Emily's 20, so Jamie was about 18. And she comes from a lot of abuse, really difficult background. Uh, but then during December, as Emily started discipling her, Jamie then ended up leading her mom to the Lord, led her brother to the Lord. And so her family was being transformed, not from the parent's side, but actually from the daughter's side. And so if you are here and you don't have children, this talk is also a talk for you. But I just want to tell you a little bit about Stellenbosch, a little bit about South Africa. Some of you are familiar with South Africa. But in actual fact, it's the only country with 11 official languages. So if you're looking for cross-cultural work, then just come to South Africa. It's right there amongst us. You can actually swim with penguins. So <laughs> two weeks ago, we had uh, friends out from Lebanon, and we said to them, what do you want to do? And they said, well, we want to go see the penguins. We actually want to hug a penguin. And we said to the guy, sorry, <laughs> you cannot hug penguins. They will actually bite you. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> But as much as beautiful as South Africa is, we have a lot of hardship, a lot of pain, a lot of trauma. Gender-based violence is through the roof. Fatherlessness is through the roof. I know it's all over the world, but they say one in two children don't have a dad at home or even a father on the birth certificate. And so, you know, all of that makes for quite a hot pot for mess. And we need transformation in our country just as you need it here. But we need to get, keep our hearts soft. You know, when we read what's going on around in the news, it's so easy to let our hearts get hard. And this morning, as I'm sharing, I'm praying the Lord would do something even in your heart that he would soften your life. I started following Jesus, as I said, when I was 18 at a 24-hour surfathon. And um, I used to surf. I used to run surf events. So you'll hear me share a few stories. But one of the first revelations God gave me was of him being my father. 
because I grew up, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. Um, I had really wounds from my dad. I'm sure many of you have as well. But God started to speak to me of him being my daddy and Jesus being the lover of my soul, my friend, and the Holy Spirit being my comforter. But that revelation of God as father transformed me and shaped my identity. We see that family is really at the heart of what God wants for us. He wants us to make the circle bigger. Do you know that phrase? No, you don't. It's probably a South African thing. So when there's a lot of people in the room and you need to put more people in, we say, make the circle bigger. So what does that mean? It makes things just expand and expand. And that's God's heart for the kingdom. He wants us to make the circle bigger. And that's what he wants to do. He wants to bring family in and he wants us to make the circle bigger. And so when I had this revelation of God being my father, he started to speak to me about I'm loved. And I want to tell each of you today that you are loved because he loves you. And because he loves you, you are loved. I want that to sink deep in your hearts, that you are loved because God loves you. Just because he loves you, he loves you, and so you're loved. I know it's pretty simple. And it says in Romans 8, verse 15 to 16, So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. And now we call him Abba, Father. For his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. Now, that was revolutionary. You know, this is in Romans. So Paul was writing to the Romans. And when I started to understand who I was as a daughter of the Most High, I started to research this adoption and the spirit of adoption. So do you know in the Jewish culture, there's no um, process for adoption? So if um, Neil died, my kids, if Neil had a brother, my kids would automatically, you know, and I died, would automatically just go to Neil's brother. And so there was no process for adoption. And what Paul was saying was revolutionary because, do you know, in the Roman culture, if you had a son or a daughter, most likely daughters, they didn't really want girls. So they would set them out to be um, to die of exposure. If they didn't want them, they would disown them. They would sell them. So your position as a biological child was never secure in the Roman culture. You just never knew. But in the Roman culture, adoption was a big thing. So if I wanted, my husband and I wanted to adopt a child, I would go before a judge and we'd say, okay, do you want to adopt this child? And we'd say, yes. And he said, okay, you have freely chosen this child, right? Yes. Okay, so firstly, adoption, the child is freely chosen. Secondly, the child is a permanent part of that family. We would never be able to disown, sell, or trade this child. So in the Roman culture, an adopted child has more rights than the biological child. Okay, stick with me. So when we understand that an adopted child comes in and we've chosen it, this child is wanted, you know what this child gets given? A new identity. Any prior debts or commitments that that family had who wants to give their child up for adoption gets cancelled. The child gets new rights, a new name, new responsibilities. And in the ancient Rome, the concept of inheritance was part of life. It didn't begin at death. It is mind-boggling when you understand that is what God is telling you. He has chosen you. He has adopted you into his kingdom, not out of fear or because of obligation, but he wants you. You've been given a new name. And one of the first things I remember um, in my early days, I used to be sponsored by surfer label clothing. And one of my first visions I had was of me. I remember standing in my bedroom and 
like worshiping God and I was standing in the spirit on my bed. I stood so I wouldn't fall on the floor. <laughs> but I remember walking through this portal and on the other side, instead of having surf label clothing, I had Jesus label clothing. And I mean, this was now 30 years ago. And I remember the Lord saying, Mandy, your surname is my surname. You are wearing Jesus label clothing. You are mine. I've chosen you. And this morning, there is someone that needs to hear that, that you are wanted, that you are chosen, that you have a new identity, that you are a son or daughter of the Most High God, that you have been given an inheritance, that he hasn't abandoned you. And you know what's amazing about being adopted in God's kingdom? He'll never sell us out. He will never abandon us. He won't trade you out. He won't reject you. And so we can settle that in our heart and know as we are adopted, that we are loved because we are loved. And because he loves you, you are loved. And we know that it gives him joy. Ephesians 1 verse 5 says, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. You bring great pleasure to the Father. You bring him incredible pleasure. And so often when we come to follow Jesus, we think, oh, you know, I've got to do all these things. And, but there's nothing you need to do <laughs> because he's chosen you. He's given you a new surname. He's given you a new identity. He's given you Jesus label clothing. You know, it's just you are loved because you are loved. And when we have that revelation of, our, of being loved, we can love others. We've heard it said that hurt people hurt people. But I'll tell you this morning that loved people love people. And he's releasing to all of you this morning this anointing of love. And when we love people, they feel safe. And when people feel safe, they can take risks, they can let themselves be themselves, and they don't need to become scared. Because fear drowns in love. Fear gets abolished in love. And when we first receive that love and our identity as who we are as a son and daughter of the Most High, and we can then love others, we can transform the world. We can transform our families. We can transform our communities. Do you know that love multiplies? I remember when Neil and I got married, I was like, oh, I love this man so much. Like, I just love him. And then I felt pregnant with Matt. And I was like, oh, my word. Now I'm going to have to give 50% of my love to Neil and 50% of my love to Matt. I'm like, okay, man, you can do this. I gave birth. I was holding Matt in my arms. And suddenly, my heart expanded. And I was like, my love is multiplied. I was like, yes. Okay, I don't have to divide it. Two years later, I fell pregnant with Emily. And I was like, oh, dear me. Okay, how am I going to have to divide my love now? Because I know love multiplies with Matt and Neil, but now I'm going to have two kids. Now, how do I love two kids? And I didn't grow up in a Christian home. My sister and I fought when we were younger. I had, I rebelled as a teenager. So I didn't have a model of what it looked like to follow Jesus and, and create that atmosphere. But I knew that God was showing us a different way. And I remember being in the hospital with Ems and I was holding her. <laughs> and my love multiplied. My heart just expanded even more. And suddenly I realized God's love is expansive. He just expands my heart more and more and more. I don't have to choose to love Matt 30%, Emily 30%, and give Neil the other 40%. <laughs> you know, it's 100% loving Neil, 100% loving Matt, 100% loving Emily. And that's what it's like in the kingdom of God. It's God, you are his favorite. You are the apple of his eye. And so his love for you just expands. And as more people come to follow him and we're making the circle bigger, 
love just continues to expand. And that's how we transform the world. We transform it through love. The Bible is actually just a love story, if you read about it. It's a complete love story of God saying, I want all nations to be standing in my family room with me. And the circle's just being made bigger and bigger and bigger. And so you can't also accept the love of God without the sending of God. We can't accept the peace of God without the sending of God. In John 20 verse 21, it says, this is Jesus, he's speaking to them and he says, peace be with you. And as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And it was because of love that he spoke that peace and that sending. And so he speaks that sending of you this morning, sending to your husband or your wife, to your neighbor, to your children, children to their parents, to your communities and to the nations. And as he speaks that love and that peace, he gives you the ability to go and to do things that you never ever dreamt you could do. In our community, we have, uh, we meet in what we call a township in Stellenbosch in a place called Kaya Mandi. Kaya means home and Mandi means nice. So, but it's anything from nice. There are shacks, um, there are shabins, which is kind of bars. Uh, it's really a, a mixture of different cultures. So we meet in Kaimandi, and a lot of people actually get scared to go into townships. And we've seen God working through some of the people, and we have really a lot of different guys coming through our community. And one couple, they're also Isiklosa, and in the culture, you have to pay what they call labola. So labola means you have to pay money to get married. And often these guys cannot afford to pay the amount the parents set, and so they end up just living together, because it's easier to live together than pay the the bride price. But this one couple decided they were going to go against the culture. And so they've got married and they went and met with the families. Their families didn't really like what they were doing, but they ended up saying, we want to follow God's will and God's plan. We don't want to live together. We want to obey Jesus. We want to do things differently because God's culture and the way we do things trumps our earthly culture every single time. And so they have chosen to go countercultural, still honoring, honoring their families, but they've got married and they're working it out. There's another guy in our community. Um, he just wants to evangelize people and go out. But his wife is a drug addict. And we've been working with him and wrestling with him. And he's realized he needs to get his marriage sorted out. He needs to bring healing in his home because he had a really rough upbringing. He was in prison. He got out of prison. There was a lot of things going on. And now as he is getting transformed, he's realizing, I can't go out and save the world if I've neglected my family. And so people are walking with him and helping him come to a place where he can bring transformation in his family. And then out of that place, he can start to go. I was in Zimbabwe a few years back with our kids. And have any of you been to Zimbabwe? Okay, a few of you have been to Zim. So Zimbabwe is a country that has really been devastated. If you drive through there, you will hardly see animals in some of the places. Um, Zambia is much the same. But we were uh, looking for accommodation. We went into this old game farm. There were no game there, but uh, we just needed some accommodation. And on this wall was a sign that said, let it not be said that this place was better before you came. And my children were quite young at the time. And I thought, oh, Mandy, how could you parent differently? How could it not be said of you that this world was better before you and Neil raised Matt and Emily? And so I've taught it to my children everywhere we go. How could it not be said of you that this world would be better before you were here? That they make this world a better place, whether it's picking up a piece of litter, whether it is reaching out and inviting someone to our home, 
It's in the little things. We always want to do these big things, but it's in the little things. The one day I was hiking up Lion's Head with some friends and there was this 19-year-old boy going ahead of me and I suddenly saw him walking and picking up some litter. And I thought, wow, because South Africa, we have a lot of litter. And I looked at him and I said to him, why are you doing this? He said, no, well, you know, this is a national mountain park trail. We can't have litter. He didn't follow Jesus, but he just did a little act. No one saw him. But he left this world a better place than he found it. Now, how much more so can we have that revelation from God as his sons and daughters that we could leave this world better than we found it? So it starts with you. It starts with your family. It starts with your community. It starts with your friends. It starts immediately around you. And you can do one thing every day to leave this world a better place than you found it. We see transformation is embedded in scripture. If you read in Deuteronomy 6, verse 4 to 9, it was when Moses instructed the Israelites to teach God's wisdom to the next generation. He speaks this passage, and I mean, we know it all well, but look for the deliberate words that are in it. Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And you must love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all your strength, and commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you. Repeat them. How many times do we need to repeat things for our kids, eh? Come, supper time, supper time. (laughs) Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home, when you're on the road, when you go to bed, when you're getting up. Tie them to your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Can you see the intentionality? We're always looking out there for transformation, but transformation always starts from the inside out. God can't change change us from the outside in. He always works from the inside out. So if we want to see transformation in our world, it starts with you from the inside out. I'm going to be speaking through four ripples in a pond. Um, As I was preparing, I felt like the Lord lead me through that. So transform, have any of you thought what that word means? So trance means a cross. And form is the shape. So transform or transforming means a change and altering in shape or form, like a metamorph, like a you know butterfly, a cocoon and the butterfly. Transform means a complete change. And I was trying to figure out how could I dress in such a way and then suddenly turn around and rip open, you know, and, and be different. <laughs> but picture that. God wants to bring you and your family across the shape or form, change the appearance of things to bring him glory. And so I'm going to be sharing now just how you can get kind of that transformation. So Jesus was the master of ushering in transformation. They say most of life's problems come from our identity or actually our lack of identity. And that is something God speaks into us is who we are in our identity. Uh, I used to run professional surf events. And the one time I'd been traveling to Australia, I did some media for events. I did some professional, I used to organize them, not compete. And I came back from one of the events and someone came to me and said, Mandy, God is saying you need to look at your priorities. So I was about 20 at the time. And I thought, okay. So I went to sit before the Lord. I was like, okay, God, what are my priorities? One, two, three, four, five. And he said to me, no, Mandy, surfing is an idol in your life. You have to choose between me and surfing. I'm a jealous God. So you can't follow me and have surfing. So I said, okay, I want to follow you. I know that you are the one I want to follow and give my life to. So I said, well, Lord, what should my priorities be? And he said to me, no, no, you have one priority. Love the Lord with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. If you truly do that, all of your life will be in the right order. And so that's how I shaped my life throughout the years. And I've wrestled through things like, how do I make God my priority? 
And then I discovered the other day that you know that the word priorities is actually not accurate. It comes from the Latin word prior, meaning first. You can't have five firsts. You can't have five priorities. You can only have one. So what is your priority? Because you can't have five firsts. And God wants to be our first. And so when we make decisions for our life, we make it out of that place of, God, I'm putting you first. Okay, you're my priority. So how does that look in the way I do business? How does that look in the way I discipline my children? Incidentally, discipline, the true meaning of the word discipline is training, correcting, and guiding for future appropriate behavior. God disciplines those he loves. So he trains, corrects, and he guides us. As we raise our children, we train, correct, and we guide them for healthy, appropriate behavior. It's not punishment. Punishment is a penalty for past. And so often we come to Jesus thinking he'll punish us. And, you know, I chat to so many people and they think God is going to wrap them over the knuckles. Oh, naughty girl, you did this, you know. No, he loves you because he loves you. And because he loves you, you are loved. And so he'll train you, he'll correct you, he'll lead you, and he'll guide you. So we see it again in Mark ten twenty nine. Love the Lord with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's my guiding passage. But Jesus, you know, wants us to follow him. He wants us to love him, but not out of fear. Um, in John 4, we know the story of the woman at the well, right? And there's this term called shukha. Have any of you heard it? I see you, I hear you, I understand you. I care for you and I appreciate you. I'm going to repeat it. And I'm going to show you how through John 4, Jesus shookered the Samaritan woman. So in John 4, Jesus said, I see you. He went against the cultural norm. He spoke to a woman alone. And she was a Samaritan. He saw her. He said, I hear you. Jesus saw her longing. He, he spoke directly into what was going on. When she was telling the stories about her life and when he said, yeah, but you actually have four husbands and, you know, she said, yes, this is correct. He actually, he said, I, I hear you. I, I, and then he said, I understand you. He saw what she needed. He said, you need living water, basically. Come, you know, and drink from me. I will give you the living water. And then he said to her, I care for you because he spoke to her with honest compassion. He said, yeah, this and this is about your life. And you know what? He revealed himself as the Messiah, it was the first time in scripture that he revealed himself as the Messiah it was to a Samaritan woman. I see you, I hear you, I care for you, I understand you, and I appreciate you. Appreciation is just recognizing someone's full worth. Think what he did to her. He said to God, you know, and she went and told everyone and said, look what he did for me. He told me about all of my life and hundreds and, I don't know, I'm guessing numbers, but many, many believed in him. Because Jesus saw her, heard her, understood her, cared for her, and appreciated her. Now think of the people in your life. Every human being has the same need to be seen and heard. My sister-in-law is Down syndrome. And the one time uh, we all had kids, we were on holiday together, and Neil's mom came to me and she said, Christy's need to be loved is exactly the same as everyone else. She just wants to have a family. And... It just really struck me. Every human being wants to be seen and heard and understood, cared for and appreciated. That's one little tip of transforming your family right there. When your children come to you and you're on your phone and they're looking for attention, they see you giving this little thing more attention than them, immediately they start to feel a little bit of rejection. Because they're like, well, something else wants all my time. I was sort of discipling this one girl and they've got a three-month-old baby and they're in the ministry, and she came to me the other day, and she said, you know, 
Sometimes I think we need to put our phones down. So I looked at her. She said, yo, me and my husband, like we'll sit on the bed and suddenly 20 minutes will go by and we realize we're both being on our phones and our little three-month-old is just kicking on the bed, oblivious. And it started to dawn on her that she needs to be more present. So right there, when you're with people, how can you stay present, stay with them? Think of how God speaks the words to you. My daughter, my son, I see you. I understand what you're going through. I hear you. I care for you. And I appreciate you. It is so profound because just one encounter with Jesus, that Samaritan woman and that that community was transformed and changed. One encounter with Jesus, when he sees you and he hears you, understands, he cares for you and he appreciates you, can change your entire world. Secondly, you can't give what you don't have. And so you can't usher in healing and transformation in people's lives if you don't have it. So it starts with you. You parent out of who you are. If you're a parent here, you are raising someone else's husband and wife or father or mother. So what are you giving to your children? I remember thinking about that and thinking, what kind of man do I want to release to my son's wife one day? I thought, okay, Matt, you need to learn how to iron. You need to wash. (laughs) Learn how to do washing. Pick up after yourself. Cook. You know, what, what kind of woman do I want to release to my daughter's husband one day? You know, who do I want Emily to be? How do I want to raise up to be a strong woman who can understand who she is in Jesus? And sometimes, you know, for, when my kids were younger, we used to speak about them being comfortable in their own skin. Now we joke they're too comfortable in their own skin. <laughs> but what kind of man or woman are you releasing one day? You know, how are you living out of that vision? So God often speaks into identity more than our destiny. He wants, you know, we think, God, tell me where to go and tell me what to do. And he's like, no, no, I love you because I love you. And because I love you, I love you. So you loved. And once we fully grasp that, we'll be like, God, well, what can I do to please you today? Where do you want me to go? What can I do? Who can I show love to? So we don't need to be afraid of change. We don't need to be afraid of that transformation. Your family is the third circle, the ripple effect. So we started off with Jesus Um, because Jesus is always the answer. (laughs) Then we moved into ourselves and and allowing God to transform ourselves. And then as we work outwards, we transform our families because it's families that impact community. I remember listening to this one uh, preacher once and he was telling about how do you transform communities? Well, it's one house on a block at a time. And then it's the next house. And then eventually every house in that block is following Jesus. And then they move to the next block. And after a period of time, that whole area is following Jesus. And we always want to go reach up far out there, but who's living in the flat next to you or down the road or who do you see every day, you know, when you go get your cup of coffee or whatever you do? Who's in your block and how can you make that circle bigger? We need to become a servant leader. As we serve others, God makes room. I was in an armed robbery a few years ago. I actually wrote a book on it um, on, and God took me on a journey on how to overcome fear. We were leading a missions organization. We were sending, you know, people to the unreached peoples of the world. And at the same time, I was reeling with this trauma. Neil was in Zimbabwe when it happened. And when he came back, he literally had to change his schedule. He canceled trips. He would be around me more often. He laid down his life in a way to serve our family just to help us get healing because it was Matt, Emily, and I that were at home when it all happened. And so... For years, Neil would just say, sorry, I can't go here or I can't do this. Or I would get forgetful and I'd, we were senior leaders together. And as we were leading, we'd sit and he'd come home and say, man, so we, you know, we've got to do this and this. And I'd say to him, oh, no, babe, we didn't even chat about it. 
And he would just cover me with his love. He'd be like, no, actually this and this and this. And so he served our family and he loved us. Um, and that helped us come to a place of healing. And so as we serve our families, as we serve those around us, it might mean that you have to say no to some things so that you could be around for your family, your children, your husband, your wife, your mom, your grand aunt, you know, your uncle, your grandfather, your friends, whatever it is, we need to come under, we need to serve them. And so when we parent and when we raise our family, I really believe we need to work backwards. So I enjoy running. I enjoy doing trail runs. I'm running a half marathon in a few weeks' time. And then my goal this year is to run a marathon. So there's this thing called the Cape Town Marathon, and it runs all around Table Mountain. But when I set a goal of running a marathon or a half marathon, I kind of have a time you know, in my mind. I'm like, I want to do it in a certain amount of time. And then I work backwards and I say, okay, I've got 12 weeks. What do I need to do? I get a program and then I start my program and I do these things. Now I want to propose to you, if you want to see transformation in your family, how are you going to do that? What is the vision God has given you? Jesus was a man of vision. He lived with vision. He knew where he was going, what he was going to do. And even if you read the scriptures with that in mind, you can see how he, he did certain things intentionally to prepare the disciples, to prepare the people. He did things intentionally. So even now as I'm talking, perhaps you need to write down, what's my family vision? If you're single or you're not married, what is your vision? What is God putting you? And how can you work backwards to get where you need to go? Life just happens. So you can't just suddenly raise kids and think, oh, they're going to transform the world. They're going to be world changers if you're not intentional in the way you parent, intentional in the way you live, intentional in allowing God to shape you and work in you. Because we need to live with hope. Hope is a future reality. We need to say, God, give me hope. Let me see, where are you taking me? What are you doing in my life? What are you doing in my family's life? Because without hope, we just get into despair. And after COVID, I've seen so many people so hopeless and just so down. And the depression and the anxiety is on an incredible increase. If we see in schools, in children, they say anxiety and depression is the next pandemic. How can we raise families and parents differently so that our children live with hope and are hope carriers into their environments? How could they be lights in the schools and the environments they are going in? When we had Matt and Emily going into schools, we decided to put them into just a, a normal school. And the Lord said to us, they are going to be like a lighthouse in that environment. My son didn't have one Christian friend from grade one through to grade 12. And he went to university, and now for the first time, he's got a group, a community of Jesus followers around him. And we thought, we don't have to let the culture dictate to us. We can have strong values, raise our children to love Jesus, and let them experience things around them and trust that God you know, will work in their lives and through them. And it's so wonderful to see Matt and Emily last night. He had a party. My son loves having, he's got a gift of hospitality. So he'll save up his money and then he'll hire speakers, invite friends around. And he had about 30 people just before university starts on Monday at our house the other night. And Neil told me this morning they were busy cleaning out, like moving the furniture around. And he has dance parties at his house, but he has a whole bunch of friends who don't know Jesus and a bunch of friends who do. And so we speak to the friends who do know Jesus saying, hey, this group doesn't know Jesus. You know, just just be, you know, be yourself. And, you know, some of the guys will come drunk. Some of the guys get drunk. But, we, you know, we put certain parameters like no drugs and hard liquor. <laughs> They're 22. But our home is a safe space. And so we see these people coming, these boys and girls coming into our home. And I'm trusting that the light that's in us and the presence of God in our home will transform their lives. And so we equip and empower Matt and Emily to, to be world changers in the worlds that they are in.
You know, we established the identity. We said a match and end, you're a heart. This is who a heart is. This is how a heart speaks. I literally would say that to them when they were younger. You know, we honor one another. We do these different things. We serve one another. Um, we go through the different ages and stages. And so just bear with me if you are not a parent. I want to just share a few tips that I felt I needed to share this morning. So when you have a baby, you're a nurturer. You just nurture this child. You know, there's no discipline really involved. When your child hits, and again, I'm generalizing, but between one and four, you are like a commander in chief. I say, you do. Don't put your finger in the electric socket. (laughs) Don't say, oh, my child, please don't put your finger in the electric plug point, you know. So like, come here, don't put it in. It's for their safety. You teach them to obey authority because later in life, they're going to learn to hear God's voice. And so if they learn to obey you based on you loving them, they can start to respond to God so much easier when they're older. So many parents I see really give their, their one to four-year-olds lots of choices. Like, what do you want for breakfast? You know, or what do you want to wear? And so between one and four, you kind of really give them, you know, in South Africa, South Africa we have wheat picks and cornflakes. So like, for example, so you can say, do you want wheat picks or cornflakes? You give them two choices. Incidentally, adults, when given too many choices, can't make decisions. Have you ever been to a restaurant? And there's so many things on the menu, you take half an hour to choose. <laughs> but you go to a restaurant and they're like, three options for breakfast, three for lunch. You're like, yes, thanks, I'll have that. And it's the same with our children. You know, we get decision paralysis. And so when we have a one to four-year-old, you need to help your children make wise decisions. And so you're teaching them, do you want to read a book or play outside? But you say, you give the command and they need to obey you. And the best works is when you get them to look at you and say, yes, mommy, or yes, dad, or yes, papa, whatever it is. From around about, you know, four to about four to six, four to seven, eight years old, you more of like a, sorry, teacher trainer. <laughs> You're in the commanding chief between one to four. And then from four onwards until preteen, you in a teacher trainer role. So you're starting to train them. You, you really like teaching them how to tie their shoelaces. I remember even writing at the back of my journal what I wanted to teach Matt and Emily. So I taught them how to set a formal table. I taught them how to be friends. We taught them how to hear God's voice through action, like activities. But I intentionally thought, what do I want to teach my children? You know, what do I want to train them? How do I want them to become? And then when your children hit like preteen going into teen years, you become more of a coach role. So you start to ask more questions. You let them experience consequences for their actions. And so as you're starting to ask them things and trying to let them figure out and fail forward and fail safely, it gives them the ability to understand consequences. How many adults do you know now that just don't say what they're going to do and do what the, you know all those things because they don't understand the consequences in their lives? And so as you go through the high schooling years and you, you ask more questions, that's Jesus' way actually of teaching. He asked way more questions than he then he answered. And so we need to become very good at asking questions. In your walk with the Lord, ask lots of questions. And then as your kids get older, you become more of a friend, a mentor. And that's where we're headed. It's where they come to us because they want our advice, because they know we love them out of the influence that we have in their lives, not because we have such high authority, but because they know we're for them and we want the best for them. And so when we learn to transform our family, we do things differently. You make decisions different to what the culture is saying around you. I love that Chris spoke, you know, yesterday he mentioned a little bit about in the families uh, when we were chatting to him before the service about the LGBTQ communities. And I speak into that and I say, you've got to teach your children how to understand the times, how to interpret things really well, because your environment needs transformation. So in Genesis 12, 
God gives this promise to Abraham. He says, all the families on earth will be blessed through you. And we know we are as to that promise as well. But we need to understand the times we're living in. And yesterday, Chris also quoted the scripture I'd written down from Chronicles. Where 1 Chronicles 12.32 says, From the tribe of Issachar, there were 200 leaders of their tribe and with their relatives. All these men understood the signs of the times and knew the best course for Israel to take. As families, we need to discern the times, understand the times, and know the best course we need to take for our family, for our communities. We don't put our head in the sand like the proverbial ostrich. Do you also have that proverb? Don't put your head in the sand like an ostrich, which apparently ostrich doesn't ever do. (laughs) But we can't pretend it's not there. We can't pretend our children are not facing certain challenges. We need to talk to them about things, wrestle things through with them, discuss how are we going to... Raise up men and women who understand who they are and are comfortable in their own skin. Speaking into the whole LGBTQ plus arena, speaking into the metaverse and all the different things that our children are facing, which is different from our world. We cannot pretend it's not there. I gave a parenting talk once and this one dad was a coach to some sports teams and he, I was speaking about the metaverse, about how to handle, um, if your children come home and speak about they're facing, you know, all these transgender things at school and wrestling it through. And he said, no, I've always just put my head in the sand. I'm too scared. I can't go there. So I said, well, if you're not discipling your children, someone else's, YouTube, all that social media apps, their friends, if they're not going to come to you with questions, who are they going to go to? Their friends. And their friends will probably give them the wrong advice because your children are being discipled, but we don't need to be afraid because God gives his grace, which is his empowering ability for us to raise our children well. And so I encouraged this father, I said to him, well, remain curious for longer. Ask more questions. Don't preach at your children. Ask them questions. Do your own research. Understand what the, all those you know, letters of the alphabet mean. Look into the whole metaverse and all you know the chat. What's it called now? Chat. Yeah, I've just heard about it last week in South Africa. So we're a little bit behind the curve. But understand what's going on. Find out for yourself, not out of fear, but so that you can know how to pray. So you can know how to guide your children with sound biblical advice and counsel. Not beating them over the head with it, but just saying, God, release to me wisdom and knowledge and insight. And pray for your children like crazy. Sit on their beds and pray over their homes, I mean, over their rooms. And, you know, without, even when they're not there, pray over their spaces. So don't be afraid. If you, I, see, I saw quite a few parents with young babies. And for those of you that are single and going to get married and going to have children, God will give you the grace that you need in the season that you need it. I remember thinking when I first read some stories of men and women that were martyred, and I was like, oh, Lord, how would I handle that? And he's like, my girl, my grace is there for you in that moment. So you don't need to be afraid when you hear of all the things that's going on around you in the world. You can actually be excited because God will empower you with what you need when you need it. Again, he's a loving father. He loves you because he loves you. And because he loves you, you loved. And so that out of that place of being transformed and becoming more like Jesus, you can parent differently. And I didn't have a role model that like, man, this is the right way to parent. We kind of worked it out. But again, as God was our priority, then that made a like effect on how we made decisions. So your greatest gift to the world, and this is, um, I think someone needs to hear this, is perhaps not someone, something you do or your work or your job, but someone you raise. Your greatest contribution may not be all these things and going to everywhere, but someone who's right in your home, whether you're fostering, adopting, raising children, 
you know, even as we disciple the younger generation, raising someone could be your greatest legacy. And so we want to see that transformation come in our lives. We want to see our lives healed and restored. We want to see our families changed and restored. We want to have a different form. And I know that God is delights in you because he's adopted you into his own kingdom.